welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. The last two weeks, we were supposed to start our series on James, and every Sunday the Lord said, nope, not yet, nope, not yet, nope, not yet. And today he finally said, yes, okay, you can go ahead and talk about the book of James. So our plan is, is we are going through the book of James, and we are going to study what James says to us. Now, just a little backstory on James, just so you have some understanding about James. James was the brother of Jesus. And this book was written sometime between A.D. 42 or A.D. 48 and A.D. 62. James was martyred. He was killed in the year 62. And they believe, scholars believe, that the book of James is the first book that was written after Jesus went to heaven. Okay? Now, Jesus went to heaven somewhere around A.D. 33, maybe A.D. 32. They're not exactly sure, obviously, but somewhere around then. And uh, James was his brother and wrote this first book. Now, James became an early church leader in the book of Acts. Does everybody have, like, something to write stuff down? Did you bring, like, a Bible that you can, like, highlight and scribble notes in? Do you scribble notes in your Bible? Now, let me tell you, it's one of my favorite things to do. I've met people before, they're like, you draw notes in your Bible? And I say, oh, yes. You probably can't see it. I have like this red pencil that I use. I don't, I don't know if you can see that. And I scribble and make all kinds of notes and highlights in my Bible. Because when I am reading the scripture, there's things that stand out to me and I think are important to remember. So I write it in there. So as we go through the book of James, listen, here's something I'm going to encourage you to do. The next five Sundays, unless the Holy Spirit shakes something up again, which clearly we've learned is highly probable. But as we go through this, if I were you, I would start busting out your Bible and reading the book of James along at home as we get through this. This week, we're going to talk about James chapter one. So that means, guess what? Next, we're going to talk about James chapter. Oh, that's right. So if you really wanted to get a jump start on stuff, you could probably at home this week, crack open a Bible and begin to read James chapter. Yeah, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. So James chapter, James chapter 1 was written sometime around A.D. 48 to 62. He was killed in 62. He was an early church leader in Acts. And if you go through the book of Acts, write these scriptures down because you can look at them later at home. But in Acts chapter 12, verse 17, in Acts chapter 15, verses 13 to 21, and in Acts chapter 21, Verse 18, these are all references to James being a leader in the book of Acts. Now, you know what's amazing about that? And you may not even be aware of this. I imagine some of you are. But if you go to John chapter 7, and I'm going to turn there and read this for you just so you can hear it straight from the Bible itself. In John chapter 7, we find out that James wasn't a believer of Jesus at this point. Did you hear what I just said? 
In the book of John, we read in James or in John chapter 7, here it is, we're going to read it. After this, Jesus traveled through Galilee. This is ver- uh, Galilee, Galilee. This is verse 1. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. You can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world." For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now, here's what I want to say. We're reading the book of James. James became a leader in the book of Acts. He was an early church leader. There are some of you today that you have family members who are not believers right now. And if James, who was the brother of Jesus had a hard time believing, who lived with Jesus, who watched him play hide-and-seek and probably did miracles when he played the game and all those kind of things, grew up with Jesus, saw all kinds of things. If James had a hard time believing, it's okay for your family members to have a hard time believing because God can still save them wherever they're at. So I am using this little nugget of truth as an inspiration for you. For, does anybody here have family who isn't a believer right now? Well, that's okay. It's okay. Say it's okay. And here's why it's okay. Because Jesus, because God is still going to get that person's attention. If you continue to pray and believe God, he's still going to find them. He's still going to show up in their lives. And all you got to do is watch and listen and open your mouth when he tells you to open your mouth. Come on. All right, let's get into James. So, James chapter 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing I want to know is, okay, so here's what we're doing. We are going to go through this, this book and just break down these verses. All right? So really, pull out your phone, make notes. Anything that stands out to you, make a note about it, think about it, pray about it, let God speak to you. Here's the first thing I want to talk about in this verse right here. It says... This letter is from James, a slave of God. The New King James says, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the brother of Jesus, but he doesn't drop any names. He doesn't say, hey, this is James, Jesus' brother, so you better pay attention to what I'm saying. Does he? He's like, I'm, I'm super important. You guys need to listen to me. You should probably put me in charge of a church somewhere because I am James, Jesus' brother. No, he says, this is James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James had some kind of revelation along the way where he realized that his earthly relationship did not matter as much as his heaven relationship. And here's what you need. If you don't get anything else today, here's what you need to get. Your heavenly relationship is what should define you on this planet. Not any earthly relationship, not any earthly failures, not anything on this earth doesn't define you. What defines you is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And James says, this is who I am, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. He is writing to Jews who at one time lived in Jerusalem. The word for scattered abroad is diaspora. And it means Jews who were living in Gentile areas. Now, Gentiles are people who were not Jews. 
So he is writing this letter to all these people who were at Jerusalem at one time, and then the Roman occupation caused them to spread out and leave because they were, they were killing Christians, they were martyring them, and so these people all ran and got out of Jerusalem. So James says, I need to write some truth. I need to write some letters. I need to give you guys some wisdom. So he began to write these letters to these people so they could hear what God was trying to say. Okay? Okay, sure. Okay, great. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles and adversities come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I don't know. I mean, this is super contradictory to everything else we learn in life. When we have troubles in life, we walk, my life is so hard. I'm never going to make it through this. Why is my life so hard? Why? Why didn't I get a speeding ticket? Because you were speeding. When troubles and adversities come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? Why does he say this? Well, here, let's read. He goes on. He says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And he says this great phrase at the beginning of verse 4. So let it grow. Look at your neighbor and say, let it grow. No, look at your neighbor and say it like you mean it. I see you, Leaf. Say, let it grow, man. Let it grow. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens to most of us in our lives. We encounter some obstacle. We encounter some kind of trouble. And what is the first thing we try and do? We try and find a way out of it. We don't let it grow. We don't let our patience grow because we want to get out of the painful situation. But here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes there are things in your life that you've got to go through so that God can grow the faith and the patience inside of you to create you to be who he designed you to be. So he says, let it grow. Let your faith grow. Let your patience grow so that you can walk through these things. You guys aren't getting this. You're not getting this. Come on. You're not getting this. Dear brothers and sisters, and I love when he says in in this verse, I think this is verse 2, he says, when trouble comes. When trouble comes. It's coming. Like a freight train. Choo, choo. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Do you guys remember that story? The little, was it the little train that could? I think I can, I think, man, I haven't thought about that story in years. It's coming like a freight train. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but what? Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And here James says, when trouble comes, when it comes, listen, just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean you get a pass from all the trouble in life. It says, when it comes, when it comes, 
Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, needing nothing. Now that word perfect doesn't mean you will look perfect. It means, this is what it actually means in the Greek, it means mature. Or if you prefer, mature. I always personally hate that pronunciation. I had a principal in grade seven that everything was mature. But that word perfect means mature, as in you've gone through some things and you've grown up and you have matured. He says, go through these things, go through the hard stuff, so that when you do, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing, because adults that have matured don't need a lot because they've matured. He goes on here, he says, now remember, as you read the Word of God, it's important you keep things in context. As you read through the scriptures, don't just pull out one verse and and try and understand it outside of the context that's being talked about. What is he talking about right now? He's talking about going through trials and temptations and adversity. And so he says in verse 5, hey, when you're going through these things, has anybody gone through some nasty stuff in life? Ben never has. Ben, we all need to talk to you after church and find out why your life is so amazing. He says... He says, when you go through these things, when you have adversities and trials and tribulations and stormy seas and bad days and bad feelings and bad emotions, and when you're dealing with all these things, guys, here's what you do. Verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, rub a genie lamp, and Robin Williams will pop out. If you need wisdom, does anybody here need wisdom? I tell you what, I need a lot of wisdom, and I am constantly, I am constantly praying and asking God, fill me with your thoughts. Put your thoughts in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. God, I can't do this on my own. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. But what I do know is that you know. So God, I am asking that you fill me, like it says in Colossians, with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you need wisdom in your life, You need to bust out Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, and begin to pray that section of Scripture over you. Praying that you're filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may be strength with all might. So when you need wisdom, go to God and ask Him for it. It says, He will give it to you. He's not going to rebuke you for asking, but when you do ask... Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. If you need wisdom, ask God. But when you do ask him, make sure that you're trusting in him and him alone. Because if you're trusting in God and you're trusting in Derek, you'll find yourself running back and forth between the two. Being like, oh no, Derek, what did you say? Okay, I should, oh, God, what did you say? Back, oh, okay, no, not. What did you say again? I forget. Okay, but God said, okay, but you said, okay. Ooh. 
It says, when you ask God, make sure that you're asking him and your faith is in him alone. Because if it's not, if you're trusting in God and something else, those two most times won't line up together. And so you'll find yourself going back and forth. And he talks about how you look like a wave that is driven and tossed on the sea. Has anybody seen the ocean before? Have you ever seen the waves on the ocean? Up and down, left and right. Whenever a wave shows up and knocks it, the wave moves that way. And whenever the wind starts blowing, the waves can be blowing this way. Then all of a sudden, the wind shifts direction and the waves start blowing another direction. And it's just going here, there, and everywhere, right? So he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He won't rebuke you. But when you do ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Don't waver for a person with divide loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7 says, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Is that just because God's a big meanie up in heaven saying, you know what? I'm not going to share my answer with you. I'm not going to give you my wisdom. No, of course not. Of course not. Verse 8 is the answer. It says their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. It's not that God isn't answering you or that God won't answer you. It's because you're driven back and forth between God and Derek in this scenario, not in probably your lives, but in this scenario right now. You're driven back and forth, and because you're trusting in two different things, you're unstable and you're unsure of the voices that are coming into your life, and you're not sure which one to trust. So God says to you today, whatever situation you find yourself, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're doing, if you need wisdom, then what you need to do is ask God. You need to ask God and all those other things that are your hope and your trust, those things that are your strong tower that aren't God, you need to climb down from those strong towers. You need to get off of those ladders. You need to quit trusting in those things because this over here where God is, is your strong tower. And you need to go back over here, climb back up in there and get up top in the strong tower and begin to look through God's eyes and begin to look from God's point of view and begin to hear and listen to see what God... His wisdom is to you in those situations, and you put your trust in there. Yeah? Yeah. Verse 9, he says this, still talking about trials and temptations, tribulations. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They, should, they will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls. And its beauty fades away in the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. What are they saying? What's he saying here? James is talking about, listen, people that have no money and people that have tons of money. They still have different problems. They both have problems. We think that if we just get enough money in life, we'll be okay. If we can just get all these bills paid, and then we can get enough money to live on retirement, and then we have enough to pay off our house, to pay off our car, go on nice vacations, or have nice clothes. If we can just get enough, we'll have everything we need, and we won't have any problems. But guess what? No matter how much money you have or how little money you have, you are going to have problems. 
And people that tend to have a lot of money, they think, oh, well, my money is my answer. And he's saying, guess what? Your money that you have built your life on is going to fade away one day. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, what's the afterward he's talking about? Well, I'll tell you. He's talking about after you have endured the temptation. After you have gone through the temptation. You've got to walk through some temptations in your life. You've got to walk through some trials in your life. You have to go through some tribulation in your life. So that faith inside of you, so that patience inside of you, so that character that God decides to see formed in you can be formed completely in you. Don't shy away. That's what he said. He said, so let it grow. Don't shy away from those things. Walk through them knowing that God is with you every step of the way. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, they walked that road. They showed up in the fire. And guess who else showed up in the fire with them? Do you guys know this story? Okay, just making sure. God showed up in the midst of the circumstance with them. And if he showed up in the midst of those circumstances, he'll show up in the midst of your circumstance. So he says, afterward, after you patiently endure the testing and temptation, you'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This phrase, crown of life, in the Greek, it is Stephanos of Zoe. Sounds way better than crown of life, doesn't it? You'll receive the Stephanos of Zoe. Ken, the Stephanos of Zoe, you will receive it. You receive it afterward, after you've gone through the trial and temptation. After you've gone through the tribulation, you will receive this. And here's what the Stephanos of Zoe is. It's, think about all those pictures you see of Greek paintings and Greek statues. The, the, the Stephanos, the crown of life, is literally that crown of wreaths that they put on somebody's head. You know when you see like Nero or Caesar or whatever, those guys, like little Caesar pizza dude? And he's got that thing, this is actually true, the little thing he's got around his head, you know what I'm talking about, the green leaves? That is a crown. And that's the crown that James is talking about here. When you have gone through something, you will receive the Stephanos of Zoe, the crown of life, showing people that you have gone through something. And hey, guess what? You've gone through this. And now you can walk around wearing this crown. And people can look at you and say, oh my gosh, you're going through something I went through? And you came out victorious? You won that race? I need to talk to you because you won. How did you do it? That's what he's talking about. After you've gone through the trials and temptations and you think you're going to die running and you're out of air and you're out of breath and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And you see somebody else who ran the race and they're wearing this crown on their head. You say, oh my gosh, I don't know how you did it, but you got the crown. You won. You got the victory. How did you do it? I got to come to you. I got to find out what you did. That's what he's talking about here. Oh my gosh, we're running out of time. Faster. <laughs> and remember in verse 13, and this is a great verse, because so many people say this. And here it just busts it down flat, showing you that what they're saying isn't true. Remember when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. 
How many times have you heard somebody say, God is just tempting me. He just wants me to go through this and learn something. I just got to learn from this test. I just got to go through it. Yes, tests and temptations are different. Temptation is causing you to do something that is wrong. And God will never lead you. God will never tempt you to do wrong. See? (laughs) Stand over here. (laughs) He's never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anybody else. Now, here's where it comes from. Verse 14 says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Let's read that again and just look at that progression of what happens in your life. God doesn't tempt you. He says temptation comes from your own desires. Whose desires do sin come from? Our own. Yours, Sydney's, Uche's, Jen's, Jake. Temptation comes from the desires inside of me, which entice you. And here's what they want to do. They want to drag you away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin causes death. Separation from God. That's what sin is, separation from God. And when you give in to those temptations, when you give in to those things that are enticing you, that are trying to drag you away, what is it doing? It's like pulling you away from where God's at. It's pulling you over here. And then when sin begins to grow, and I love how it says this in the New, in the new Living. It says, when sin is allowed to grow. It's like you have a flower bed. Who's got flower beds at home? Do you have weeds in your flower bed that pop up? Yeah, most times we choose to get rid of those weeds, but there's times we're just too busy, right? We say, I don't have time to go weed the flower beds. What happens? You allow those weeds to grow on that flower bed. And they begin to spread, and they begin to like put out their little poison weed cousins. And soon your flower bed is taken over by weeds and death, and it looks nothing like what you desire it to look like. He says, you allow sin to grow. When you allow sin to grow, it brings forth death. Do not let sin grow in your life. Do not allow it to stay in your life. When you know there's sin in your life, when you know there's things in your life that are causing separation from God, don't say it's okay. Don't turn a blind eye to it and say, it's okay. It's not going to do anything that bad. It's just a little sin. It's just a little wrong. When you know there's sin in your life, pull that thing out by the root and get rid of it. Don't be misled in verse 16, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. That's talking about what it's really saying is a shadow, not a shifting shadow, but you know how shadows, as the sun moves, the shadows change. That's what it's talking about. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. And so he is never changing. What he said 
2,000 years ago stands true today. It'll stand true. If the world is here in another 2,000 years, it'll still be true. It's true. Whatever God says, it is true all the time. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. That true word that it's talking about is Jesus Christ. John talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus Christ, and it says, out of all of creation, out of everything he created, guess what? You became his prized possession. Out of all the llamas and the plants and the stars and the things underwater that nobody knows about and the parakeets and the, 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 the I don't know, anything you can think of, out of anything that you can think of that was created, all of, out, of, out of all of it, we became his prized possession. What do you do with something that's prized? Think about that. Your prized possession. What do you do with it? My precious. You nurture it. You take care of it. If you have a prized plant in your garden, I've seen people, you drive past their house, and when the wintertime comes, they're out there, and they put, like, these little shelter things around them, and they put, like, polyurethane around it, and they put stakes in the ground to take care of it. They are prized. It's a prized possession. They want the best for this thing. They want to see it grow. They want to see it flourish, and so they're taking care of it. And just think about this. You are God's prized possession. Out of everything he ever created, you're his prized possession. And if you're his prized possession, he is up there trying to get the best to you. He is, he is wrapping you up in polyurethane. He has given you life. He's putting things in the soil for you to grow with. He is trying to give you everything you need to become who he's created you to be. All right, we're almost done. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Verse 19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all, say all. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get anger. Man, I tell you what, if you have a Bible and that verse is not underlined, you need to do something to underline that scripture right now. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I feel like most of us are the exact opposite of that. We don't listen. We get angry really quick, right? But he says, Quick to listen and slow to get angry. Because in verse 20, he says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger. So guess what? When you get mad at somebody and you get mad, you're like, I'm mad at you because of this. And you should do the right thing. Nobody wants to do the right thing when you're yelling at them. Even if what you're saying is the right thing and you're yelling about it, they're like, ah. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Because your human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it, the word, has the power to save your souls. This book right here and the things that are written inside of it, the things that we're talking about today has the power to save your soul, has the power to help you walk through life's trials and tribulations, has the power to help you deal with adversity, has the, has the answers to wisdom that you need. It says, ask God if you need wisdom. He says in verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. <laughs> what are you doing? 
Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. How often do we come and listen to the God's word? How often do we listen to somebody preach to us and tell us what God says, but then we leave and we're not doing anything to it? Maybe today he's saying to you, what are you doing? There's things that God desires for each and every one of us to do. Things that we're all called to walk in. Things that we're called to be and do. And he says, you come and listen to my words and I tell you about all those things. And then you leave. But what are you doing about it? James says right here, don't just listen. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word of God and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walking away and you forget what you look like, which that would be a crazy day. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And I want to tell you today, there's people here in this room, listening to my voice right now, that God has spoken things to you about your life, about things you're supposed to do. The person you are supposed to come. And he says, if you do what he says, if you do what the word says, and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Last few verses here. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Let's just read that again. If you claim to be religious, as in you have a relationship with Jesus. James isn't talking about religion like I go to church on Sundays. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, that means you let your mouth say Whatever it wants. It means whatever thoughts come through your head and your mouth wants to say them, that you let your mouth say those thoughts. Bad words, bad thoughts, bad feelings, bad emotions, you just let it fly. <laughs> Whatever's happening, you just let it come out. He says, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless because, verse 27 says, pure religion, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means this. Caring for the orphans and widows in their distress, number one. And number two, refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, let's just stop here for a second. This is the last verse. I don't want to point something out to us here in this scripture. I don't know if you realize this or not, but most of us think that religion, this verse says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Most of us think that's what that verse says. This is what pure religion is. Caring for widows and orphans in their distress. And so we go out and we do all kinds of good things. And you should do those. But those are actions. Those are things we do. And those are easy. It's easy to get people together and say, hey, we're going to go clean up this park. Hey, we're going to go feed people downtown. Hey, we're going to do a food drive. And we're going to get all these people together and feed all these people who need food. We're going to do all these kind of things because they're good things and they're right things. And we should do them. And we focus on that. But that's not where the verse stops. He says, and, I think in my Bible, the word and is like circle. Something else here. Pure and genuine religion, in God's eyes, is caring for widows and orphans under distress. 
It's great. We got to do those things. And we do do those things. And we continually try to do those things and find new ways to do them and make them effective. Then he says, and it's something else. And guess what? Here's what it is. Refusing. Refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, the first part is super easy because it's actions, it's doings, it's outward things. But the second part, refusing to let the word corrupt you, the world corrupt you, guess what? That's an inward thing. That's the things that you let in your ears, the things that you put before your eyes and that you watch, the things you think about and that you talk about and that you dwell on, all those things inside of you, whether you're reading the Bible and the Word of God and letting that grow inside of you. Refusing to let the world corrupt you means you are saying, this far and no more. I refuse to be corrupted. I refuse to be tainted. I refuse to look like you. I am choosing to look like God. Stand up with me. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.